Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. So this morning, I want to jump in the Word, um, and if you want to, go ahead and open your Bibles. You can go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 5. Um, that'll be our main scripture that we're going to key in on, but we're going to be jumping to a bunch of other scriptures as well. But Romans chapter 5, you can jump in there. And this morning, um, a couple weeks ago, God laid a message on my heart um, that he wanted me to preach today. And then last week, at the very end of service, Brother Floyd came up and he talked a little bit, kind of closing out service, talking about pastor appreciation and all that. Um, And he gave me some confirmation that, yes, this is what you're supposed to talk about next week. Because last week, Brother Floyd, at the end of service, started talking about the process. And that was the message that God had laid on my heart for this week. So the title of our message today is The Process. The Process. Um, And when I think about processes, nothing quite comes to mind to me right now, since Titus is doing homeschool, than the process of teaching someone how to spell words in the English language. Does anybody else in here have trouble spelling? No, just me. Y'all are going to have no idea what I'm talking about. But the English language makes no sense at all. And it may just be because I'm a terrible speller. But when it comes to spelling words, there's like 100 rules. And each one of them only works like 7% of the time. So I don't know what you're supposed to do, right? But we've been teaching Titus this process. And he's, you know, been doing all of his homeschool work of trying to learn words. And I eventually come to the point where he asks a question, why does this word sound like this? And I have to tell them, I have to tell him, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. That's not the ah, ah, ah as an ostrich. That's not the it, it, it as an inchworm. These words don't make any sense. So I think probably one of the hardest jobs in the whole world is being an English teacher and having to teach a kid English. In my opinion, that's just simply my opinion. But if you think about it, it's a process. And so many things in our lives, so many things that we walk through, anything good that we want is going to be a process, right? We, as Americans, especially today, we want everything right now, right? We want immediate satisfaction. Uh, We want our food when we order it. Uh, But here's my question to you. Um, Would you guys rather eat a delicious, not not the Thanksgiving meal we just saw on, on the screen, not that one, but an actual delicious Thanksgiving meal, or would you rather run to McDonald's and get a McChicken? Right? Yeah. Or would you rather go to Taco Shells, or would you rather go to Taco Bell? Right? Right? That's what I'm talking about. See, there's a process um, to anything good. There's a process to growing and to developing. And the thing is that God wants to take each and every one of us through a process. He wants to take us from being imprisoned by our trials to being free and victorious through the fulfillment of his faithfulness. He wants to free us from our trials and set us free in his fulfillment and his faithfulness. So the scripture that we're going to kind of focus on today is going to be Romans chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse number 1, so you don't have to go down very far. Uh, But I'm going to read the first few verses to you this morning. It says, Therefore, 
Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So those first few verses there uh, in Romans chapter 5 talks about having joy. Having joy in good seasons, having joy in, in knowing that we are receiving God's blessings, having joy in our faith in Jesus, having joy in the peace of God, having joy in the undeserved privilege that we have because of God. It talks about having joy in all of these good things, in all of these wonderful things. And then the next couple of verses kind of counter that. They stop talking about all the blessings. It stops talking about all the undeserved privilege. It stops talking about all the peace, and it starts talking about something else. So in, in verse number three, it says, we can rejoice too. Notice it doesn't say we don't we stop re rejoicing, right? It doesn't say that we stop having joy, but it says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So not only here in Romans 5 does it talk about how we're supposed to have joy in the good seasons, joy in the blessing, joy in the peace, joy in the undeserved uh, privilege, but we're also called to rejoice. We're also called to have joy in our trials, in our suffering, in our difficulties, when everything's not going right, when we lose our job, when we're having health problems, when we're having family or marital problems, whatever it is, we can still have joy. We can still rejoice, not because of what our trials are, but because of the process that comes from the trials that we face. And it, James 1-2 reiterates uh, this fact, and it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it a great opportunity for joy. Consider it a great opportunity for joy, not because you're going to be destroyed by your trial, not because your life gets more difficult, not because your life gets harder, but have joy because of the process that comes from your trial, from the have joy because of the victory that comes from the process of your trial. Because the process of victory that comes from our trials brings us joy. So here's the deal about joy. Joy does not come from our circumstances, right? If joy came from our circumstances, we wouldn't have joy in the good times and the bad times, right? Joy doesn't come from what we see. Joy doesn't come from how the stock market's doing. It doesn't come from how an election turns out. It doesn't come from how much money we make. Joy doesn't come from what we see in this world, from the situations that we see or how good our life is. Joy doesn't come from us not having problems. But where does our joy come from? Our joy comes from the Lord. 
and a few ways that we get to encounter that joy from the Lord. First is asking, right? Too many times we go through difficult seasons and difficult situations, and we go through hardships, and we're in seasons of need, and we say, well, I'll just try to figure this out, I guess, right? I'll try to make it through. I'll try to pretend to be happy about it. Instead of just stopping and saying, God, fill me with your joy. Help me to recognize that the situation that I see is not my future, is not my eternity, is not the way that it's going to be forever. And in John 16, 24, it says, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have what? Abundant joy. Ask, and you will have abundant joy. Our joy comes from asking. Our joy comes from God's presence. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Our joy comes from the presence of God. There's no place, there's no one that we could be around that gives us the kind of joy that God gives us. Think about your favorite place in the world to be. For Haley, that's the beach. For me, that's somewhere cold, right? I've never been skiing, but I think I would love it. Think about your favorite person to be around. Hopefully, if you're married, it's your spouse, right? But think about your favorite person uh, to be around. The joy that you get from being in that place or being around that person doesn't even compare to the joy that we receive when we enter into the presence of God. Our joy comes from God's presence, and our joy comes from remaining in God's love. John 15, 9 through 11 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. This is Jesus speaking. And then he says, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed the Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you these things so you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will be overflowing. Jesus says, when you remain in me, and how do we do that? Through obedience, when we remain in him, we have joy. We have joy when we remain in him. Friday night, I know some of you were here, but uh, there we had a wedding up here, and, and it was just a great and beautiful um, service. But I came in uh, to the wedding, and Floyd and Diane were here, and Floyd was wearing, where is he? He's here somewhere. There he is. Floyd was wearing a shirt that was this exact color, right? This same exact color. And this is actually the shirt that I was planning on wearing on Friday. Um, there's only one problem with me wearing this shirt on Friday. I was wearing khaki pants, and then I was going to wear this shirt. Now, all of the guys in this room were going, okay, whatever. Put on the shirt. What does it matter? And all the girls in this room were going, What? You're going to wear that shirt, which is, I mean, to me, basically khaki. I know to your eyes that see a billion more colors than mine, it's not khaki. But I know from, from having Haley dress me enough that this shirt would not go with khakis, right? And so I was having a conversation with Floyd about how I was going to wear that same exact color, um, but it wouldn't have gone. And, and he said something uh, to the effect of when your wife tells you to change your shirt, you say, yes, dear, right? And guys, 
If you're married and you haven't figured this out yet, just say yes, dear. Guys, if you're not married, please figure this out. Just say yes, dear, right? Just say yes, dear, and change your shirt. And why is it that we do that? Because we want to remain in her love, right? We don't want to say, well, I'm going to wear this light brown shirt with my khakis because I think it's going to look good. And because it's not, she knows. It's not going to, you're going to look ridiculous, okay? So say yes, dear. Remain in her love and look decent, guys. All right? We find joy by remaining in God's love the same way that we find joy in our homes when we just say yes, dear, and change our shirts. Or say yes, dear, and take out the trash. Say yes, dear, do the dishes. Whatever it is that's going to keep the joy in your home, just say yes, dear, and do it, okay? It, just, it works out better that way, all right? God wants you to have joy in your process. God wants you to have joy in the process of going from trial to victory because it's a blessing. It's not a curse. Your trial, your difficult situation that you're facing, whatever it is in your life, it's not a curse that God's trying to use to tear you down, but it's a blessing that God is using to build you up to your potential, to your destiny, to your purpose, and into the victory of God. God wants to take you through the process of turning those trials into the fulfillment of his purpose, his faithfulness, and his blessing. And I think there, there are a lot of individuals in the word that are great examples of the process. There, there's a ton, of, a ton of people who went through difficult situations and on the other side of that experience, the blessing and the favor and the victory of God. But one individual that I think went through a, and I say this not because it isn't right, but a ridiculous process, right? Super hard, super challenging, lots of ups and downs and downs and downs and downs and lots of difficult seasons is this guy named Joseph, Right? If you know the story of Joseph, um, you know that he was his father, Jacob's favorite son. So he had that favoritism. If you're the favorite sibling, you don't know anything about this. If you're not the favorite sibling, you know all about this, right? All of his siblings had ill feelings toward him. They didn't like him because he was the favorite. Even so much so that his dad didn't even try to hide it, right? He was like, I'm going to give you the most beautiful coat ever so that you stand apart from your brothers, and it's known that you are my favorite, right? He was that kind of favorite child, right? That one that we all know. So much so that his brothers hated him enough to want to kill him and then to sell him into slavery. Well, if that one trial wasn't bad enough, after he had been a slave for Potiphar, worked his way up to the top of Potiphar's house, which was a guy in Pharaoh's guard, right? He was like the lead guy in Pharaoh's guard. Once he built himself up to the top of Potiphar's house, then Potiphar's wife lied about him and got him thrown into prison for something he didn't even do, right? That should have been enough, right? But not quite. Right? While he was in prison, Joseph met two guys. It was Pharaoh's, I guess at this time, ex-baker and butler because he had thrown him in prison, so they weren't actively working. Uh, but he interpreted dreams for uh, these guys, for the cupbearer and for the baker. And uh, when he interpreted the dreams, he told the cupbearer, because the baker didn't make it, he told the cupbearer that when you get out of prison and when Pharaoh restores you back to your place, remember me. Did he remember Joseph? 
No, he did not remember Joseph. So Joseph, for doing nothing wrong, had to spend an additional two years in prison for doing nothing wrong, right? So for Joseph, it's just a story of trial after trial after trial after trial after hardship after difficulty, right? But when we get to the end of Joseph's story, we see the fulfillment of God's purpose and of his plan in his life. And as you read through the story of Joseph, you see the process that God took him through. And we're going to talk about that um, as we go along. We're going to use his example through these steps of the process that God wants to take each of us through. So this morning, I want, I want to take the next few minutes, and I'm going to talk about how God takes us through the process of turning our trials into victory. How does God take us through the process of turning our trials into victory? And they're all found in Romans chapter 5, um, these few verses that we read from, from verse number 3 to verse number 5. And the first step is this, endurance, endurance. The first step of how God wants to take your process and turn your trial to your victory is endurance. And that's the first thing we read in Romans chapter 5, verse number 3. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, I, I had to Google, uh, because if you look at me, you can see this is not me, but how a runner develops endurance, right? You look at me, you're like, that guy's not a runner, right? So I had to Google this, um, but how a runner develops endurance, and it's that they continue to push themselves harder and harder. They continue to lengthen their distance of running. And if we have any runners in the room, you know that you have to push yourself harder, that you have to increase your increments of running to be able to develop and grow and strengthen your endurance, and so the same thing is true for our lives. As we're going through these trials and difficult situations, it's not to tear us down. It's not to bog us down. It's not to, you know, rid, of, rid us of our faith, but it's to help us to strengthen and help us to grow our endurance. And, and where does this endurance come from? It comes from faith. So as we're walking through these difficult trials, just like Joseph did, right? Just like Joseph walked through all of the difficult trials after trials after trials that he was going through. If you read his story, you know that he didn't lose his endurance over time, but his faith only strengthened. And that's what happens when we walk through trials. God lets us go through difficult seasons. The difficult seasons aren't from God. He's not punishing you. He's not cursing you. But he allows us to go through these difficult seasons so that our endurance and our faith can be strengthened and developed. Colossians 1 verse number 11 says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. So you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Our faith, our endurance doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from a skill we possess. It doesn't come from a characteristic that we're born with. But our faith and our endurance in the Lord and the strengthening of that endurance only comes from God. So how do we endure? How do we do it? How do we endure in seasons of trials? Well, first thing, most important thing, 
is to stay focused on God, not our trials. With our natural eyes, the the difficult situations that we face and the trials that we go through seem enormous, right? They seem like we're never going to be able to conquer them. We're never going to be able to be victorious. We're never going to be able to overcome them because they're just too big. The situation that we're facing is too hard. But that's why our faith and our endurance grows when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, Because when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we realize that the trial that we're facing is not the biggest thing in my life. The difficult situation that I walk through is not the biggest thing in my life. It may be bigger than me, but it's not the biggest thing in my life because there is a God that is bigger. There is a God that is greater, stronger, and more powerful. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, they say this, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before this. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus is where our faith starts, and Jesus is where our faith strengthens and where our faith develops. It's all about staying focused on him. How do we endure our seasons of trial? Stay focused on God, not our trial. Also, find God's family. That's the easy part, and here's the hard part, and get real. Find God's family and get real. If you look to to Acts 2 in the New Testament church, you see about how the church was initially created, how the church is supposed to function, and that is that we are simply this, a family. We're a community. We're people that come together. We come alongside one another, walk with each other through seasons and through situations, and we're real with each other. You can't have people come alongside you, pray for you, and lift you up if you're not real about the situations and circumstances that you're going through. And I'm not saying that it's easy, right? I'm not saying that getting real is the easiest thing you'll ever do or that it's the most comfortable thing that you'll ever do. But I am saying this, getting real with the family of God is necessary, it's necessary if we're going to continue to develop our faith and continue to develop our endurance. One last scripture about endurance that I want to read to you is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 36. And it says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others that were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown in the jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew, listen to this, I love this, you knew there were better things waiting for you that last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive 
all that he has promised. Patient endurance is the first step from God taking our current trial, our current difficulty, our current situation, and freeing us from the bondage of that trial and allowing us to walk in the purpose and the destiny and the victory that he has for us. So step number one, endurance. Endure by faith. Step number two, let's go back to Romans chapter five. Step number two, let's read verse number four, or the very beginning of verse number four. It says, and endurance, so the first step, and endurance develops strength of character. Step number two, character, character. So how can we relate this to Joseph's life? Well, if you look at Joseph, this is an opinion, all right? This isn't, you know, I'm not going to tell you to look at Austin chapter 3 or whatever. This is just an opinion. As I look at Joseph's life, it seems as though there was a little bit of character that needed to be developed in his life, maybe in the area of humility, perhaps, right? We, we look at Joseph, and, you know, he was the favorite, right? Everybody knew he was the favorite. All his brothers knew he was the favorite. He had this special coat that was made just for him. He was the favorite. And if that wasn't enough for him, when Joseph started having these dreams of how his family would bow down to him and how he would be in charge and in control, instead of saying, you know, my siblings already don't like me. They would probably really not like me if I shared this dream with them. Well, what did he do? He was like, oh, I don't care, right? This is my dream. This is my future. This is my destiny. I'm going to share this dream with you about how you're going to bow down to me, right, about how my mom and dad are going to bow down to me and how I'm going to be, you know, in this great authority position. When I look at his story, it seems like there may have been some humility, the characteristic of humility that needed to be developed in his life. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Because you could probably list a hundred things, a hundred characteristics that I and we need to develop in our life. But God wants to use the trials that we face in life to mold us into a vessel that he can use to further his kingdom, to further his plan. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. This is one of my favorite scriptures which I say a lot, if you've ever noticed that. I have a lot of favorite scriptures, and that's okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Doesn't that make you feel good, right? You just walk around. I, I, when you leave this place today, I want you to find somebody, you know, that you know, you don't know them, whatever. I want you to go up to them and I want you to say, I'm God's masterpiece, Right? Makes you feel good, right? To know that God has created you, that God has formed you, that God has made you who you were and set you apart for a design purpose. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And here's the thing about us being God's masterpiece He's not saying that you're perfect, right? So you can go tell somebody, I'm God's masterpiece. But then you also have to say, uh, I'm not perfect at all. I'm like somebody that started to make a pot, and then they haven't finished it yet, and it's got lumps on this side and cracks on this side, and it's sticking out at the bottom, right? That's all of us. And it's because 
while we are created in God's image, while we are his masterpiece, he is currently in the process of forming and molding and creating us into the women of God that he has called us to be. I want you to tell this to your neighbor in a nice way, okay? I'm going to preface that in a nice way. Tell your neighbor this. You're a work in progress. All right? God's looking at you if that wasn't nice, okay? But the thing is, we are all a work in progress. God is using the trials. He's using the difficulties that we're facing to develop character, to mold us, and to create us into the men and women of God that he's called us to be. And how does God do this? How does he use our trials to develop our character? Discipline. Discipline. Oh, that takes us back when we were kids, right? Like, oh, now I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to get a spanking. I'm going to have to go to the corner or whatever, right? But if, if you think about discipline when it comes to a parent, discipline from the parent's perspective and the child's perspective, very different, right? Because when the parent looks at discipline, they're saying, I am doing this to teach you a lesson, right? I have boys, to, so to help you grow into the man of God that has called you to be, right? When we have to spank the kids or ground them or get on to them or whatever, it's not to make them feel bad about themselves. It's not to cause them pain because we're mad at them, right? But it's to help them learn and grow and understand and become the men and women of God that he's called them to be, right? And the same is true with us. When God disciplines us through seasons of trials and through difficult situations, he's not doing that to try to grind us into the ground or to try to tell us that we're worthless or to try to tell us that we've lived a life that is totally wrong. But he's doing those things to help develop strength in our character. He's doing those things to mold us and to form us into the men and women of God that he's called us to be. And the effect of discipline when it's done with love can be seen from a mile away, right? I was having a conversation with one of our students um, this last Wednesday, and they were telling me about how they want to have kids. Not now, not while they're a student, but in the future. So, other than, you know, being married and all those things that you, you need to have kids, one of the things I was telling them is that one of, if not the most important thing about having a kid is discipline them with love while they are young, right? Because you can see the difference between someone who grew up with discipline and someone who didn't. And you can see the difference between a person when we've walked through trials and when we've been disciplined by God and when our character has been grown by God versus someone who hasn't, right? I, I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12. Um, let me jump over to it. Uh, starting in verse number 7. And it talks about God's discipline uh, and him building character in our lives. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you were illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? 
For our earthly father disciplines us for a few years, doing the best they know how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of of right living for those who are trained this way. We can have joy in our trials because we know that God is using them to develop and strengthen our character. Notice that it, the, the, the writer of Hebrews there didn't say that your discipline's going to be fun. They didn't say it's going to be easy, right? They didn't say it's going to be enjoyable. They said it's going to be painful. And a lot of times our trials are just that. They're painful. But we can still have joy in the trials because we know that God is using the trial to develop endurance. And then that endurance is leading to strength of character. So step one, endurance. Step two, character. Step three, let's jump back to Romans. Verse number four, second half. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Our confident hope of salvation. And and here's what our confident hope of salvation is. You ready? It's our identity. Our identity is rooted in our confident hope of salvation. Last year, I think all of you in this, in this place know, I went through some health issues with my heart, um, and I, I won't elaborate on that because I've talked about it many times. Um, but during the season that I endured last year, of uh, my heart going haywire, it would have been really easy for me to root my identity in my current trial. It would have been really easy for me to say, this is who I am now. I'm the guy with a broken heart, Right? In, in a literal sense, right? It would have been really easy for me to say that. But instead, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make you laugh. That's probably going to hurt you, isn't it? <laughs> um, it would have been really easy for me to say that my trial is my identity rather than allowing God to develop endurance, that endurance to lead to strength of character, and that strength of character to lead to uh, an increase in a new identity in the confident hope of who it is that God's made me to be, right? So instead of focusing on my trials, and this goes back to keeping your eyes on Jesus, instead of focusing on your trials, focus your eyes on Jesus so that you can see, so that you can experience the confident hope of that new identity that he's created for you. Our salvation is our identity. It changes everything. And let's look at Joseph again, right? We've been looking at Joseph, so let's look at Joseph again. During Joseph's seasons, during Joseph's trials, one thing that we notice is that his identity never wavered. His identity never changed, even when he got to the point where he had already been sold into slavery. He had already been thrown into prison when, when the cupbearer and the baker came to him, right? Uh, looking, well, not really came to him, but they were looking for people to interpret dreams. And Joseph said that he could do it. Joseph didn't say that I can do this. He didn't say, I have the power to interpret your dreams. But his identity was so rooted in his hope of salvation that he said, Nobody can do this. 
except for God. God can do this. He can interpret this dream for you. In the same way that Joseph's identity never wavered from his hope, his confident hope in salvation, as we go through trials, our identity never has to waver from our confident hope in salvation. So where does this confident hope come from? Really easy. Romans 15, 4. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Our confident hope in salvation comes from the word of God. Comes from the word of God. And the reason that our hope grows rather than strengths through our trials, it's because of our increased character. It's because of our new identity. And it's because we don't stay stagnant in our adversity, right? It's because God continues to strengthen our faith and strengthen our endurance. It's because God continues to grow our character. That's why our hope can continue to grow is because we aren't stagnant. So step number three, Hope, strengthened hope because of new identity. So step one, endurance. Step two, character. Step three, hope. And then last step, you probably thought we were done. Last step, step number four, fulfillment. Fulfillment. Uh, Romans chapter five, verse number five. It says this, and it says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. What's another way of saying that? Is that this hope will lead to experiencing the fulfillment of God's faithfulness. Our hope does not lead us to disappointment as long as our hope is rooted and grounded in God. And, and here's the deal about our fulfillment, is it's not just about us. The fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of God's victory through our trial isn't just about us. I used an illustration last week of, we were talking about salt and light and being an example of Jesus. I used an illustration of light in a dark room versus light in a lit room, right? And in that illustration, we were talking about how the darkness is the world around us. But another way to see that illustration is to see the darkness as ourselves. The trials that we've had to walk through, the difficulties that we've had to walk through, when that light shines, when God goes from endurance to character to hope to fulfillment, when God's light shines through our trials, not only does it make an impact in our life, but it makes an impact in the lives of everyone around us. And we can look at Joseph's life. The same thing happened in Joseph's life. Not only did Joseph find the eventual fulfillment, the eventual uh, destiny and the dreams fulfilled that God gave to him, and not only was that great for him because he got to be second in command of all of Egypt, but because of his victory, because of God's fulfillment, he was able to save the nation of Egypt from famine and all of the surrounding countries. Joseph's fulfillment wasn't just about him. We have to be real 
about where our victory comes from. It could be really easy as we go through these steps, endurance, character, hope, fulfillment. It could be really easy to start to, try, to start to try to take some of the credit for these, right? It could be really easy to say, well, I did all of the work of having to walk through this season. I did all of the work of having to endure, right? So it can be really easy to start to think of ourselves as the hero of our own story, right? When we, when we look around at our world, every TV show, every book, all of the things that, that we enjoy, they're all focused on a person or a few individuals, right? And so when we see our lives, it's really easy to see our lives as us being the primary fixture, us being the primary focus, us being the hero of our story rather than remembering that our endurance is only made possible because of Jesus. Our character development is only made possible because of Jesus. The strength and hope of our salvation is only made possible because of Jesus. And the fulfillment of God's faithfulness is only made possible because of Jesus. John 16.33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And we know that. We experience that. We have experienced that. But then he says, but take heart because, not because you can endure, right? Not because you'll get character, right? No, he says, take heart because I, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. God's faithfulness isn't dependent on us, but it's dependent on him. And so these four steps that we've talked about today to, to go from being imprisoned by your trials, being imprisoned by your difficulties, uh, going through the process and seeing God's fulfillment, reaching your victory. The, the thing about these steps is that they're not one and done, right? You don't just go through one trial in your life and you're done. But the thing about these steps is that you're constantly going through each and every one of these steps. We're constantly having our endurance, endurance grow because of our trials. We're constantly being molded by God and having our character strengthened because of our trials. We're constantly having the strength and hope of our salvation continue to create our new identity because of trials. And we're constantly experiencing the fulfillment of God's blessings because of trials. Joy in the times of blessing, peace, and undeserved privilege, and joy in seasons of trials, the process of our victory, and the fulfillment of God's promises all stems from our faith and the power and work of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to finish reading our scripture from Romans chapter 5, and, I'll, and then we'll close. But I wanted to finish reading this passage because this is what it all ties to. This is the purpose. This is the reason. This is why everything, everything that we've talked about today is possible. So verse number six, it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came just at the right time and died for us as sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still, still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because, because our Lord Jesus Christ made us friends of God. This is the reason that we are able to go through the process of trial to victory. The reason that we are able to have endurance, have character, have hope, and and receive and experience the fulfillment of God is all because of Jesus.